Psalms, the book of Psalms, the 23rd chapter. Psalm 23, probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in all the Word of God. It's read, quoted on uh, pictures and artwork, and everybody's familiar with this psalm. And sometimes I feel like it's difficult uh, to preach from this scripture because it is so familiar. And I think oftentimes we approach it with the attitude that there's nothing else to gather from it. I'm glad the Word of God is quick and powerful. And I'm glad it is alive. And I'm glad it can never be exhausted. And I trust that the Lord will help us. He's been dealing my heart about some things and I want to try my best. My mind and heart's been running a million miles an hour in different directions, different scriptures. And I'm just going to read the text here that the Lord's put on my heart and just give it to Him and trust that He'll help us this morning to give you what he wants given. Psalm 23, let's stand for a few moments out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Very familiar scriptures we've already made mention of and said Psalm 23, most of us could probably quote it this morning, but we'll read it, the entire Psalm 6 verses. The scripture says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We read this psalm and as familiar as it is and just six short verses, but there's more in this than you and I understand. And I'm interested this morning if God will help me for just a little while and you'll pray for me. I'm interested in verse number five. And the last part of the verse where the Scriptures say, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I want to preach this morning, if God will help me, on living in the overflow. Living in the overflow. That's what the psalmist here, and we know and understand that David is the one who's writing this psalm. And he makes the statement that after the anointing of God, 
that his cup runneth over. That he cannot contain. That there is more than he can take in. There's more than he can uh, uh, measure. There's more than he can uh, contain within himself. But he is overflowing with the work of God. Through the anointing of God. I begin to think about and it's been kind of the theme I guess of the services here lately in the house of God here at our place of worship about the Holy Ghost. And there is such a thing as living in the overflow. Now I'm not preaching charismatic doctrine. Not preaching anything extra biblical or outside the realms of the Word of God for us today as New Testament believers. But there is such a thing as you and I living in the overflow of what God is doing in our life. There is a place that you and I can get to in the fellowship of God, in the communion of God, in our relationship with God where we cannot contain everything that God is doing in us. I believe that's the place that God desires for everyone of his people to live in. But the reality this morning is that we cannot get to verse number 5 without going through verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 to get there. And so here as we read the scripture and we read what the psalmist here is saying, there are two audiences that is contained in these six verses. The first three are spoken to one audience and the last three are spoken to another. We don't know 100% who it is that the psalmist is speaking to in the first three verses. Some have said that it's one sheep talking to another sheep or other sheep of the same flock or maybe it's one talking to another who's not of the flock. But nevertheless, they are speaking to others about their shepherd. And David here is writing and speaking as as a sheep. Now he's writing from the viewpoint of a shepherd, but he is taking his place as a sheep and the Lord being his shepherd. Nobody better qualified and fitting to write this psalm than the psalmist David, the shepherd boy, that when Samuel came to anoint the new king over Israel and Jesse brought his sons in, he started at Eliab and the firstborn went all the way down and Samuel said, it's not any of these. Is there not another? And they said, yeah, there's one the least, but he is a shepherd boy and he's tending the father's sheep and he called for it to be brought and he came in and God said that's the one and Samuel anointed him as a king over Israel but he had an intimate relationship with sheep he knew what it meant to be a shepherd and he was qualified through the instruction of the Holy Ghost to write about what it means for us for the Lord to be our shepherd and he makes the statement the Lord is my shepherd I want to say it goes without saying, but I want to say, first of all, if you're going to live in the overflow, you have to be part of the flock. You have to be possessed by him. What David here is saying is he owns me. 
He paid the price for me. He brought me into his fold. He made me a part of the flock. There's only two ways to get into a sheep flock and that's either you have to be birthed in or bought in. That's the only way that it can take place and that is what was done for us both ways. We were bought with a price and we were birthed in the family of God through a new birth, a regenerative birth, a substitutionary death, a vicarious death. We celebrate this morning's resurrection and the work that he accomplished at Calvary and in the tomb getting up from the dead made it possible for you and I to become a part of the family of God. And he said, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He said, I'm trusting him to take care of it all. I have put everything I am and everything I have into his hands and I have confidence that he is able to take care of me. He said, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now, in studying this scripture and then in owning sheep myself, I've come to the realization that what David here is saying is not necessarily that he forces. The language is not that he forces us to lie down, but we are made. A sheep are made. If you've ever watched a sheep lie down, it comes very easy, very natural to them to be able to lie down. The way their joints hinge and, and pivot, they lie down with great ease. It's much easier for them to lie down than it is for them to get up. They just kind of flop down. And that, I believe that's what the psalmist is saying. There is rest that is enjoyed and being a part of the family and the flock of God. He makes us. We are designed to rest in Him. And I believe why there's so many problems and so much trouble among the church is because we are not enjoying the rest of God that He designs and desires for all of us to have. We're not resting in Him. We're not living up to our full potential. And that's really what the Lord's been dealing my heart about, about this living in the overflow. I think that the majority of the people of God are just surviving. We're just barely getting by and that's not the will of God for the people of God. He didn't save us for us just to barely make it and just to have some meaningless existence in this life. But there's a joy and a peace and a satisfaction and a contentment involved in being a part of the family and the flock of God and living in a place where you cannot contain everything that God is doing in your life. And when you overflow, it has an effect on others. It spills out on them. It causes them to realize that there's more to it than they think. And it's the will of God for us to live in this place. And so he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. We sung this morning, Lord, lead me on. What David here is saying, he's talking to other sheep as a sheep of the Lord and telling them that he is submitting himself to the leadership of the shepherd. The sheep does not decide where it goes. The shepherd does. 
And so there's a relationship before we can ever get to verse number five. We've already established the fact that we're a part of the flock, that we've been bought, we've been birthed. But now there's a relationship that has to be maintained between the sheep and the shepherd. And it's a relationship of submission where the sheep totally submits itself to the shepherd. It's a relationship of dependence where the sheep totally depends upon the shepherd. It has to be a relationship of trust where the sheep trust the shepherd no matter. And he's going to go on to talk about that. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Then in verse number four of the conversation turns. He's no longer talking to other sheep. Now it's the sheep talking personally to the shepherd. And I don't know why the conversation shifts. But one writer said maybe the other sheep got tired of hearing what this sheep had to say. And I'm afraid in this day there are many people that just take it for granted that it's just a reserve for some elite few that there's a prized part of the flock that are the only ones that can enjoy living in the overflow. But that's not correct. It is available to every sheep, every child of God that's ever been saved and birthed and born in the family of God you can live in the overflow and he turns his uh, audience now he's talking to the shepherd the sheep is dealing directly with the shepherd and he says yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I'll fear no evil for thou art with me he said I'm depending on you I trust you 100%. Regardless of what the circumstances look like, regardless of how dark it is, regardless of how deep the valley, I trust you. The writer of the song knew what they were writing when they wrote, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." That's what David here is saying. He's not spending all his time worrying about what may be lurking in the valley. He's not spending all his time afraid or anxious about where he may go next. He has learned to resign his will under the will of the shepherd. He has learned to trust the shepherd. He has learned the commitment to the shepherd. He has learned in all his experience his relationship. He spent enough time with the shepherd to know and understand that the shepherd wants the absolute best for him. The shepherd will not harm him. The shepherd will not lead him in danger's way. The shepherd will always take care of the sheep. And I'm afraid in these days there are just many of the sheep, many of the people of God who just don't have a relationship like they ought to with the shepherd. But in order to get to verse number 5, we've got to have that relationship with the shepherd. That regardless of where we walk, regardless of how dark the valley and how deep it may be and how afraid, David never once said that, that there was no trouble. He just said, I trust you to take to our fear no evil. Not that David felt like he had everything under control, but the shepherd, he had confidence in the shepherd, that the shepherd had everything under control. He said, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Thy rod and thy staff. He had had some experiences with the rod and the staff. There were times of comfort. There were times of correction. And that's part of being a child of God. How the Bible said he scourgeth every son that he receiveth. If you're a part of the family of God, there's going to be days in your life that you must be corrected. There were times of consoling when the sheep felt alone. There are times, and I, I begin to pray, and I, I, my mind has run so many ways, and I'm just trying my best to try to follow the direction of God this morning and, and preach and say what He wants to be said. But I thought about the relationship. The Lord just kept pulling me back out of the relationship with the shepherd. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm just going to preach from my own personal experience uh, as far as physically being a shepherd of sheep. Uh, there are some things that will affect your relationship with the shepherd. There are some things that will drive you to this place. There are some things that will bring you to this place. And I feel that often God starts with the positive things to draw us closer to Him, to cause us to trust Him more, to cause our relationship to depend on Him. And when we're too stubborn and our will won't bow, then there are often some troubles and trials and hard times that will drive us to the shepherd. I've learned in raising sheep that there are some that trust the shepherd more than others. There are some that have a closer relationship with the shepherd than others. Some of them are brought to that place by time. They've just spent enough time with the shepherd. They have learned his voice. They have learned what he's doing. They have learned that he's the one that has the best for them. They have learned that following him means that they will be fed. They have learned that following him means there's greener pasture ahead. They have learned in time. It's not an instant process. We sometimes preach that people who have just been saved like they ought to know what we know after 20 years of salvation it's a growing process it's a progressive work but I'm glad this morning to tell you that the more time you spend with the shepherd and the more you foster your relationship with him and learn to trust him and depend on him and confide in him you will find that he always has the best for you and for some sheep just time is enough Spending time with Him is enough to to change their relationship. I have some uh, that when I bought them, they were so standoffish, uh, you couldn't even get within 10 foot. Uh, But after time, uh, some of them have been drawn uh, to walk a little closer to the shepherd. For some, food is enough to change their attitude toward the shepherd. And when they see that the shepherd is the one that's feeding them, the shepherd is the one that's providing for them, the shepherd is the reason that they're not going hungry. The shepherd is the reason that they're able to live their life. The shepherd is the reason that they have everything they have. The shepherd is the reason that they have a dry barn to be in when it's wet and cold. The shepherd is the one that is the reason they have a pasture to graze in in the summer. The shepherd is the one that brings the hay and the grain. When there's no green pasture, the shepherd takes care of them. And for some sheep, through that process of time and learning that the shepherd is the one that's taking care of them it begins to mold and shape their relationship to the shepherd 
I've also noticed with some of my sheep that a birth changes their attitude. I have two this year and have had others, at least two others in the past that they were not a hands-on sheep. What I mean by that is when it came time to check them, to doctor them, to do whatever was necessary to them, it was a fight for me to get my hands on them. They didn't want anything to do. Oh, They're all for the food. They're all for the green pastures. They're all for what they want. But when it comes time that the shepherd knows, they don't know the shepherd knows that there's something wrong, something needs to be dealt with. He needs to put his hands on them. They were not going for it at all. It was a fight and a constant struggle for me to help them. But then they had a lamb. There was a birth. And it changed their attitude. Many people say it's in the nature of a sheep to be rebellious until there's a birth. Until a lamb is brought into the fold. And I think that has several applications. I think as a church body, there's nothing that would draw us closer together and to the shepherd than for the shepherd and to save somebody, to boast somebody into the family of God in our presence. It's something that draws us to the shepherd. But I've also realized in pastoring over the years that sometimes there are young Christians or young families and they have all their thoughts and all their plans. But when a baby becomes involved, it all of a sudden changes how they view the shepherd. They now know it's not just them that's depending on the shepherd. But now they have a son or a daughter and they need the shepherd to do for the son or the daughter what the shepherd has done for them. And those are positive things. God help us to respond to the positive and to be drawn to Him by time and to be drawn to Him by food and fellowship and by the work He's doing among us. But then there are some other sheep that would have never been drawn to me had trouble not come in their life. I'm going to say this because it's the truth. Sheep are stubborn animals. They don't understand. They have no natural defense. Their only defense is to run. And that's what they want to do. Even when it's the shepherd and they don't understand and the shepherd's coming to lay his hands on them and to help them in their mind. They're so caught up in what they think. And I want you to hear me this morning. I'm just trying to preach what God's put on my heart. But we get so wrapped up in our mind, in the battle of our mind, in the doubts of our mind. That's where the warfare is in our mind. That's where the devil wages war in our mind. And if you're not careful, he'll convince you that the shepherd doesn't care about you that the shepherd is wanting to harm you that if the shepherd loved you you wouldn't be going through what you're going through if the shepherd loved you you wouldn't be walking through the valley that you're walking through a battle in the sickness that you're facing but I'm here to tell you there are some things in our life because we are stubborn people and we are self-willed creatures that trouble has to come for the shepherd to use it to drive us where we need to be with him I've had several that have had sickness. And that close, they got in their sickness, they got more attention than all the other sheep. 
they got a closer time. They, they were put up in a place. And, and I pray the Lord will help me. I'm not a good sufferer, but the Lord's really been dealing my heart. Sometimes we go through troubles and we spend all our existence in those troubles, in those storms, in those valleys, in those battles looking for the way out. And what we ought to be doing is looking for the shepherd in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the heartache. And when I have a sheep that's sick, I put it in a smaller area where it can't get out until I say that it's time for it to get out. It can fight and run and struggle all it wants to, but eventually I'm going to put my my hands on it and I'm going to do what needs to be done to help it in the trouble that it's in. There have been many days of my life that I've spent trying to jump the fence, trying to dig under the corral, trying to get out of the storm, out of the battle, out of the struggle. But the shepherd has him me in and he knows it's going to take this struggle. It's going to take this battle. It's going to take this valley to drive me to him. Predators will change a sheep's attitude toward the shepherd. A sheep that would not normally run to the shepherd. When predators are come or when danger's near, it becomes their instinct. They know. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're saved down on the inside of you, you know that the shepherd has your best interest in mind. That doesn't mean that your mind doesn't question it. That doesn't mean that at times you're not self-willed and stubborn. But you let problems come and trouble come. You let the enemy advance against you. And I promise you, it almost becomes second nature for you to run to the shepherd. Because they know that he'll protect them. He'll do whatever it takes to take care of them. And so there has to be this relationship There has to be this dependence. There has to be this trust. There has to be this following. There has to be this closeness. There has to be this relying on Him. This relationship must be so in order for verse number 5 to ever come about. For there to be an opportunity for the child of God to live in the overflow. And the reason I say all that is here in verse number 5, and I'm about done. If you'll give me just a minute, I'll be done. The Scriptures say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. But look at what the Scriptures say. Thou anointest my head, my head with oil. Now he could have said that you anoint my body. Often with a sheep you put things on their back to take care of parasites and pests and all of those things that come. He could have very easily talked about it, but he said, my head. You anoint my head with oil. And I believe that there's a reason. I think in my experience and in studying the Word of God and knowing that the end of verse number 5 is coming where we get the overflow, the cup running over, for you to lay your hands on the head of a sheep indicates that that sheep is in 100% complete submission to the shepherd. They'll let you put your hands anywhere else on them but their head. If they don't trust you, you come in my barn, even with them closed up where they can't get out, you come in my barn and put your hands on one of their heads and see what happens. They'll fight you. They'll run over you. They'll kick and run and holler and try to get away. And I even have some that do it uh, uh, even with me. And the reality is they have not learned to trust me. 
David said, you anointed my head with oil. You laid hold, I'm in 100% submission, obedience, dependence. I'm here, I'm standing, I'm waiting. I can't do anything without you. I can't go anywhere without you. I can't make it without you. I'm standing here as your sheep and you're my shepherd. I'm waiting on you to do the work. I've come through the valley. You've led me by the water. You've made me lie down in green pasture. You've provided my every need. You've proven yourself trustworthy. Your track record is great. You've never failed me. You've never forsaken me. You've protected me from the enemy. You've protected me from the danger. Oh, you've sheltered me in the storms. You've done everything I need to do. And I trust you. And I'm here for you. Oh, to put your hand on me and do whatever you want to do with me. That's a hard place for a sheep to get to. And the reason that many people don't know, and I said already, I'm not preaching some charismatic doctrine that we're going to be out in the streets wallowing. And I'm not preaching about that. I'm preaching about the abundance of God and the power of God in your life. Not just a Sunday morning experience. Not just in the house of God. Not just when we're around the people of God, but a daily intimate walk and close fellowship and communion with the shepherd that you can lean on him and tell him all your troubles that he can lay his hands on you and do for you what no one else is. That is a privilege that is reserved for every child of God. The reason that most people never experience it is they have trouble getting to that place where they trust Him completely. Where they allow Him to take hold of their head, of their will, of their wants, of their wishes, of their plans, of their dreams, and they surrender everything to the shepherd. But David said, when you anointed my head, when I submitted to you, when I gave you my head, when I learned to quit fighting and I learned to quit kicking and I learned to quit bucking against what you're doing and I just laid my head in your lap, gave you my head, allowed you to do what you wanted to do with me and you anointed my head with oil. He said, at that point, my cup run over. He said, when I got to that place, he said, it produced more than I could ever contain. And I'm telling you this morning, I believe that there's some people in this church that the Lord's dealing with your heart and has been dealing with your heart about being filled with the Holy Ghost, about living. And, and people, we say that in these days and people think we're off the wall or we're somewhere way out in left field. I'm still preaching the Bible. It's in the book for us to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I understand that we're indwelt. Of the moment we got born again, we got indwelt by the Spirit of God. But there is a second working of being filled with of the Spirit of God. In reality, it's a maintained thing. It's a second work and a third work and a fourth work. We are leaky vessels and we must maintain of the power of God in our life. And the only way to do it is to submit ourselves to the shepherd. I feel like you're here this morning and the Lord's been working in our church and I'm very grateful for it. 
But you've been trying to figure out what you can do. And it's plagued your mind and you've tried to study and think. I'm not talking about in a bad way, but it's just, it's overwhelmed you. You're trying to reason it. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out what everybody else has done. And maybe that'll work for, it's not about what everybody else has done. It's not about your reasoning. It's not about your figuring. What you've got to do is learn to lay your head in the lap of the shepherd and submit to him in 100% complete obedience regardless of what he may ask regardless of what he may demand and regardless of the direction he may take you you have learned to trust him and submit to him let him have all of you and let him do his work in you and at that point you can say with the psalmist David my cup runneth over my cup. We're not here just, God did not save us for us just to survive. For us to barely make it. Not going to hell is a blessed thing. I'm glad for it. But that's not all there is to the Christian experience. We think in this day that that's all there is to it. We get saved. We're not going to hell. We're going to heaven. We don't know how much longer we got here. We just bide our time and barely make it through. Just squeak by and everything's okay. But that's not the life that God wants for the child of God. All through the Word of God, there are types and examples of this abundance. I'm afraid we're in a day where modern Christianity and religious movements and mega churches and other so-called denominations have taken the Holy Ghost and they have made it be something they have made the working of the Holy Ghost they have made the feeling of the Holy Ghost mean something that it's not does not mean I'm not preaching anything outside this book but I said already a few weeks ago when the Lord began this work in us that the writer said there is a place so dear to me near to the heart of God that's where the Lord wants you to be is near to the heart of God. In that place where John was, that he leaned on his bosom, that he had confidence and contentment in where he was with God. That's what God wants for you. Not all the ifs and the whys and and the doubts and the struggles. I'm not saying your life is going to be perfect, but it would cure a lot of the problems that we have in in our lives, in our people, in our churches, if the people of God would get to this place where they completely submit themselves to the will of the shepherd and let him put his hands on them and fill them and make them overflow. I thought about in the scripture and I'm done this morning. I know it's been a little different. I thought about in the scripture there's a woman in 2 Kings, I think it is, came to the man of God. She said, I've got a problem. My husband died and i got two boys and the, the creditors are coming. I've got a debt I can't pay. She said, the creditors are coming. They're going to take my boys to be bondmen. And Elisha said, what do you have in the house? She said, well, i got a pot of oil. She didn't think much about the oil. She just said, that's all I've got, nothing. My handmaid had nothing in the house save a pot of oil. All in the scriptures always represents the Holy Ghost. And I'm afraid that's the mindset that we take in our churches a lot of times is he's overlooked and neglected. 
And Elisha said, I tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go borrow vessels. I want you to shut the door. And I want you to go to pour it. He said, don't borrow just a few. And so she sends the boys out. And they borrow vessels and they come. And the Bible said that they set a vessel before and she began to pour. And when that vessel got filled up, they brought her another. And another. And another. And another. Until finally they said, Mama, there's no more vessels. And the oil did its work. And she went back to the man of God. And she told him what had happened. And this is what Elisha said. He said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. That's a type of salvation. The debt you could not pay has been taken care of. But it did not stop there. He said, and live thou and thy children of the rest. In other words, there was enough to take care of her debt and to take care of the rest of her life. I'm going to tell you this morning, there's enough in God, in relationship with God, in being filled with the Spirit of God, in living in the overflow to last you the rest of your life. In John's Gospel, and I'm done, there's a multitude of people that are listening to the Lord and the day is getting long and they haven't had anything to eat. And the disciples say, send them away. That they go in the towns and the villages round about and buy food. And the Lord said, you give them to eat. And we all know the story. They argue back and forth and finally they say, we've got a boy here that's got five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And the Lord told them to command the company to sit down. He blessed it and break it and distributed it to them and they the multitude and there were 5,000 men besides the women and children and all of them were satisfied. Their hunger was satisfied. But God didn't stop with just their hunger that day. But the Bible said He commanded the disciples to take up what was left over and the Bible uses these terms only in John's Gospel that they took up 12 baskets of the fragments that remained over and above that which was eaten. So the Lord provided for their hunger that no one else could provide for. And that's what the Lord did for us when He saved us. There was a hunger and a thirst inside of us that no one else could take care of but Him. But His provision did not stop on that day, thank God. But there are some baskets and some pots of oil to enjoy in fellowship with Him along the journey. If you will come to the place that you will surrender yourself and submit yourself and lay your head in the lap of the shepherd and say, here I am. Whatever you got to do, Park the wool and get the stuff out that don't need to be there. Treat me for something that's going on inside me. Fix my feet. Fix whatever needs to be fixed. I'm here. I'm submitting myself to you. And He will allow you to live in the overflow. Not preaching a fairy tale doctrine. Not preaching a charismatic thing. Not preaching anything extra biblical. Not preaching that there's a class or a place reserved for just a select few. But this is available and open to every child of God. 
And I've said that every time that the Lord has dealt with my heart about preaching about this. But I really feel convinced in me as your pastor that the Lord's been dealing with some folks and you've been trying to reason all this out and you're struggling in your mind and you just can't. This is not something for you to figure out. You can't figure the Holy Ghost out. You can't figure God out. And you're trying to compare yourself or your experience or your walk with... It's not for you, it's not for you and it's for you and Him alone. This place where David was, he, he wrote in verse number 5, I never had seen it before until this morning. The Lord spoke about it. He said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. But He never mentions them again. He loses sight of them when you lay your head in the lap of the shepherd. When He anoints your head with oil. When you come to that place, you're in total submission. It doesn't matter who else is around, they vanish. It's just you and Him. This is not a matter for you and your spouse and Him. This is not a matter for you and the church and Him. And I understand the way God has it set up that the preacher is to preach and He works through the working and the preaching the Word of God. But this, what I'm preaching to you this morning, it's not something for you and me and Him. It's between you and Him alone. Elijah and Elisha walked together. There came a day Elisha had to learn to lean on God and quit leaning on Elijah. And the Bible speaks like that God is the one that parted them. They're walking together, going on. They've had their conversation. Elisha has asked for a double portion. They continue going. The Bible said all of a sudden there appeared chariot of fire and horses of fire and it parted them both asunder. And Elijah, Elijah goes up into heaven by a whirlwind and Elisha's left alone. And Elisha picks up the man and he says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He said, I can't depend on Elijah. I don't have Elijah. It's me and you now, God. And I need you to show up for me like you showed up for Elijah. Now I'm not here this morning. I already said it's not about somebody else's experience. But if you have somebody in your mind that you've watched their life and they've walked with God and they, you feel like they're filled with the Spirit of God, they're walking and living in the overflow, it's time for you and God to do business. And it may be that you just need to say, as Elisha did, it, I want what they have. I want you to work in my life like you have in there. It's not about them, but it's about you and God. And you can live in this place. Not walk today and then tomorrow come and you have to live without it until the next Sunday. That's the opinion that many people have about walking with God is it's a Sunday thing only, but it's not. It's a daily walk. You can walk with Him in the overflow, live in the overflow, experience the power of God just as much on Monday as you can on Sunday. What He wants from you this morning, I'm convinced with everything that's in me, is as a sheep in his flock, he wants you to lay your head in his lap and say, here I am, Lord. Will you touch me? Will you help me? Now, you can't come to the altar. I feel, the Lord's speaking to my, I feel really impressed to say this. Don't come to the altar with some preconceived notion of how it's going to be. Don't come 
in your mind thinking God has to do it this way. Just come and lay your head complete surrender, total submission. Say, Lord, I'm here and I give myself to you. Whatever you see fit to do today, tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, whatever your work is, whatever your will is, whatever your want is for my life. I'm not worrying about what everybody else thinks. I'm not worrying about what everybody else does. I'm not worrying about what I think. I'm not worrying about my plans. I'm not worrying about my thoughts. I'm not worried about all of this. It's just me and you, God. That's what you need to do this morning. And you know who you are. And I'm not trying to pull on you or push at you or force you. I'm not of that caliber. But the Lord is speaking to somebody's heart this morning. As we stand all over the house, I'm done.